But folks, we finish this series this morning entitled Five Basic Questions. And we've dealt with these. And our final question is simply, how do I finish? How do I finish? How do you finish in this life? Now, let me say something as a disclaimer. The question is not age-restricted. I'm not talking to us who are over 60 or better in this house right now. I'm talking to all of us. Because, folks, from the day we started breathing, we were running to the finish line. Finishing well is something you do not in the last few years or few months or even few days or hours of your life. But how do I finish is something you do every day of your life. And it's very specific. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 that we all have an appointment with death. And that time can be a few minutes, it can be a few hours, it can be a few days, a few years, or even a few decades. I think of a dear friend of mine, Susan Simone, Susan Knight and her family. We all grew up together here in this church and the youth group, and we've kept in touch over the years. Susan was having surgery this past Thursday, complications in the middle of her surgery. She's Connie's age. I'm doing her funeral Tuesday afternoon at First Baptist Smyrna. Folks, let me tell you something. We have an appointment with death. And that minute, that time may be hours away, or it may be decades. But how are you going to finish? How are you and what are you doing right now to make sure that your life finishes exactly like God wants you to? And the Lord tells us exactly what we're to be doing. Tells us without question. He doesn't leave the answer to chance. It's in Hebrews chapter 12. And let me read those two verses again that Daniel read and you read together. We've read them all our lives, many of us in this room. Some of you memorized and even could say that verse. But it says, therefore. Now, you remember what happened in chapter 11? Austin preached on that very thing. It's the great faith hall of fame. So after all those stories of faith, by faith Abraham, by faith Moses, by faith, by faith. After all those, therefore. The writer of Hebrews, and let me say something to you about that. I believe that's Paul. But we're not told for sure. But everything in the book of Hebrews, the way it's written, how it's set up, the Greek language, sounds just like Paul. A lot of the same terms are used from the Pauling epistles in particular to the book of Hebrews. So in this message this morning, you may hear me refer to saying, Paul says... Most theologians says the writer of Hebrews, but based on where I am in my personal study, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Either way, incredible question. The scene is now a sports arena. The crowd is so large that it looks like a large crowd and large cloud. You watch the Super Bowl and they showed you saw those shots from the blimp down. You saw that. Looked like a cloud of people. There were so many. And to athletics, folks, these group, they were the runners of the day. 
And that's what's going on at this moment. Here is this great cloud of witnesses all in this arena that you can see wherever they are. And here you are, and here are the athletics or the athletes running and getting ready to run their races and their marathons. But the Bible says that these were witnesses because in that day and time, these people actually witnessed. Do you understand? There are no TV reporters here. There's nobody reporting the story per se as such. Except these witnesses. They all watched. But the Bible in particular, the Word of God, is going to tell us something very specific about these witnesses in just a few minutes. Well, folks, there are four words or four statements that I believe in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that a master trainer would say to the one that he is training. And I'm going to direct all this to me in terms of these four statements, but you'll understand why in just a minute. And at the same time, obviously, they are directed to you. But once again, the Scripture Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. So let us run with endurance the race that does lie before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter. I love Holman Christian Standard translation of that. Of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured the cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Folks, let me say something. This is the word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we've heard your word this morning. We have sung it through music. We have sensed the power of that word in this house, in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have heard it read from this pulpit now twice, and we've recited it together. So, Lord, let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart right now, may it be acceptable to you. May you take captive every thought in our heart and brain that, as you said in these verses, our focus will be on you. Satan. And the demons of hell are not welcome in this place. And so, Lord Jesus, you do your work by binding Satan and keep our minds and our hearts fully tuned, once again, not on a preacher, but on the word of God that's being proclaimed from this pulpit. Thank you, Father, for the privilege to stand here. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to imagine a master trainer, runner. And that trainer is showing me what I have to do in order to finish this race. What are the things that, the first thing, and that I can just see this happening now, that trainer has just got his hand up here and his arms folded. He's looking at me like this, looking at me now. Okay, looking at me. And you know the first thing that trainer would say to me, and it's, it's in the Word right here. The first thing that's on your outline, and it's the first thing in your outline, he would simply say, Randy, get on a diet. Get on a diet. 
Now, I wonder why that trainer, first of all, he's looking at me, and you're going to run a marathon race. I don't think you're going to be able to carry that weight. You know, I've lost about 30 pounds. I don't think you can carry that weight with you across an entire marathon race and what you're doing. Therefore, I want you to get on a diet. Well, here's Paul telling the Jewish people basically that very same thing. Get on a diet. The Bible says, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, what is it, lay aside every weight and the sin. It doesn't say the weight of sin. It says every weight and the sin that easily ensnares us. Now, obviously. Paul's not talking about going on a physical diet, per se, but he's using the language of a trainer. That's how he's going to get his point across. He's using the image of the arena and the cloud of witnesses and the people. And then he uses that word weight, the word weight. In the Greek, we pronounce it agkos, O-G-K-O-S. And literally, to be honest with you, what it means is that you are carrying a load too much And because you're carrying load, that load's bulging out. That's what it says. That's where I get my understanding of good on a diet. Because sometimes our bodies carry the load too much and they bulge out. Well, what's happening in our life? What's causing this bulging out? The trainer is saying, and Paul is trying to get across He says it very simple, the weight, the carrying, and this bulging out. That's why it says weight and sin, not the weight of sin here. Because he's talking about that which is causing, you're you're carrying so much, there's so much in you all, there's so much sin that it's bulging out, literally. And has the connotation and the meaning of actually spreading out. That you can't hold it. It's like picking up a bunch of cardboard boxes and trying to do this at Christmas and holding those boxes. And you're trying to transfer those boxes from the table in the kitchen to down to the Christmas tree. And you grab so many boxes. Well, I was doing that this year and they were not so many as they were large. And I picked them up and one fell out. That's the bulging. But then he says, what's causing that bulging, Randy, is the hamartia, the sin. And Paul is saying, what you're going to have to do is lay aside that weight. Don't try to carry so much. I believe the Lord says something about his yoke being easy and his burdens light. Remember Don't try to carry so much. And then when you do, be willing and understand that you need to lay aside, put it apart, cast it off. The word means to renounce as in it means literally to cast off clothing, to undress. But it means you do it intentionally. You know, I could stand here and say, coat, take off, move, be gone. Well, it's still there. The only way this coat's going to come off is I unbutton it right here and take the coat off. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. He says, you're going to have to take that sin off of your life and put it down at the foot of Jesus. How do you do it? By confession of sin. Jesus said that. 
In other words, it's an intentional effort. It's like Paul would say and the trainer would say, get on a diet. Get rid of some of that stuff that's causing your life to bulge. If you're going to finish well, every day of your life, there ought to be confession of sin. What does sin do more than anything? Well, the number one thing sin does, it separates you and me from God. When we confess our known sin, God says for the believer, He forgives that sin and restores that relationship as to the very, very second that you intentionally ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. We were talking in our Bible study on Wednesday night about the very fact of how God, through Jesus, forgave and took care of all our sin. 1 John 1, 9. And God has taken care of that for us. And Paul says, if you're going to run that race and you're going to finish well, make sure you get on a diet. Lay aside, because what happens with that sin is that it it ensnares, it engulfs. The word literally means there, ensnares, is something that controls you very tightly. And that's what sin does. Sin controls a person. And the Bible says that what you and I must do is to get rid of that bulging sin. Don't let that sin have such that tight control over us. But the word right there, when it talks about ensnares, the Greek word literally means that you can't get rid of this alone. You've got to have help. That's the connotation of the word ensnare. So who's there to help me and you get rid of the sin? Jesus Christ. So if you and I are going to finish well every day of our life, the first thing we're going to have to do is get on a diet. We're going to have to realize that we're going to have to set down some stuff that we've got and give it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all, we carry around too much crud in our life. The Bible calls it wood, hay, and stubble. And the Bible says to me and you, and says to me, if that trainer was staying here, he would say, Randy, here's what. And and, and Paul not even shares with the scripture what we need to do to get on the diet. He tells you exactly how to do it. Get rid of that bulging stuff. It's you. It's all you lay it down. And God will forgive you. Satan's desire is to control your life with the love of sin. And as a result, that gains such tight control, no one can ever, ever rid you of that sin but Jesus Christ. And He is the only one. We've seen that in the book of Romans once again on Wednesday night. The power of the blood of Jesus Christ that forgives our sin. So that's a daily thing. So how are you with that? How are you with your own sin and confession to God? Is it a daily thing? Or do you let weeks and months, maybe even years? And then God understands, folks, our brains can't remember everything we've done and blown in terms of the will of God. So what do we do? We simply say, Lord, I'm ignorant. There's so many things I literally have, have, don't remember doing that are sinful. Oh, God, please forgive me. When you ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, basically you said to him, God, forgive me. And what did the Lord do? Once and for all, finished, done, he separated your sin as far as the east is from the west. How? 
you want to finish well, make sure you stay fessed up in your life. That's what Paul's saying. Here's the second thing. He would say to me, okay, Randy, you got on the diet, we're getting you on a training program. And he would say to me, and he'd look at me, he said, don't you ever forget what I'm about to tell you. Keep on running. Keep on running. The last part of that verse, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Folks, let me ask you something. If you are training to be a marathon runner, what is the ongoing thing you must do? Run. My Bethany. And most of you know Bethany. She's a little short. She loves to run. She is training to run this 5K shamrock and roll race in Atlanta, actually one month from today. Well, in in her training, she doesn't sit and watch everyone run and hope she'll get it by osmosis. What does she do? Well, Saturday, she ran up and down, I think, Kennesaw Mountain twice. After I finished talking to her, folks, I wanted to go to bed. Can you imagine running up and down, not just up, but back down Kennesaw Mountain? And Paul says this. He says, that if you're going to finish well, run this race with endurance. Now, that word in the Greek, it means, yeah, you know the definition of endurance. But this word in the Greek here means hopeful endurance. There's another word for endurance, like to endure something, but that's not the word used here. The word used here is the word for hopeful endurance. What should be our hopeful endurance? Look at Jesus. Jesus never, ever lost sight of the finish line. Through the passion, through everything he went through for 33 years on this earth, he never lost sight that one day, I'm going to be home and seated at the right hand of honor with my Father. Folks, if you're going to run this race on this earth, don't you ever lose sight of the finish line. And the finish line for you and me is heaven. Don't ever let that get out of your eyesight. You make sure The runner always is looking at the finish line. That is his goal. That's where he wants to get to the one who is leading, take the baton and go ahead. He wants to continue run. So what does he do? He doesn't stop and think about it and try to analyze it. He keeps on running. And so he says, let us run with hopeful endurance this race that lies before us. Word race there is an interesting word. We define it just like it says. But the Greek people, the word that's used there means to engage in an intense struggle. That's the word used. And I thought it very interesting. Paul's brilliant. And he uses the specific word to make sure, and the people would understand exactly what he said. And Paul looked to them and, and he used that word agon, A-G-O-N, which means race. And it means an intense struggle. And he says, you're going to have to run this race down here, this intense struggle. But you're going to have to make sure you go on a diet, get rid of all that sin, unconfessed sin in your life. You're going to have to make sure you keep on running No matter what, don't ever lose sight of the finish line. 
That's how you finish well. Keep your eyes on the goal. As Paul said, the prize of the high calling of the mark of God in Christ Jesus. Now let me take you back real quickly to this verse, part of verse 1. Therefore, remember, since we have such a large crowd of witnesses, who's cheering you on, folks? Have you ever thought about that? The one who's cheering you on is the folks from chapter 11. Why? They've already finished. Where are they? They're in heaven. They're in the stands of heaven itself. And they're the ones cheering us on. And you know, folks, the way I look at this, and I firmly believe it, I believe the angels of God are in heaven cheering you and I on. I believe the saints of God that's left this earth, that's in His presence, and all of us who know Jesus Christ, the Bible says, you are agios, you are holy, you are saints. Those saints are cheering this world or God's people on. Remember what the Bible says, a thousand years is one day, one day is a thousand years. To them, it's only seconds, brief, literally seconds, before we're all home. But can you imagine all of heaven rejoices? Where is one indication you know for sure that that is taking place in heaven? When a person comes to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Bible says what? Everything, every angel, every, every, everyone in heaven breaks out into a party. And you know that puts a whole new perspective on it, Keith. When I know that God himself is up there cheering for me. When I know the people over there cheering. We're going to get through this mess. We're going to get through this world. And the mess is in here. Don't you ever take your eyes off the finish line. Keep on running. Don't ever, ever give up. And Satan would want you to do it. Here's the third thing I want to tell you. It's found in, in, in verse 2. Check your vision. Now, folks, you may be a runner, but if you can't see, it's going to be hard to run. Now, obviously, Paul's not talking about physical vision. But I had to get my glasses changed a few months ago because I was getting to the point I couldn't even see how to read the large print Bible right here in the pulpit. And I'm short, and this pulpit's a little taller than me, than, you know. And at the same time, even when I get up, I have to back off. But now I can see it real good. I can see y'all. There was a point. Y'all were blurred out there. But now you're clear as clear can be. I'm glad. But the Bible says, and Paul's saying in the second verse here, he says, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's why I put check your vision. The word keep, afra'o in the Greek. It's in the participle form. It means keeping. It means something that you never stop doing. It is ongoing. Keeping your eyes on Jesus. Holman Christian Bible translates it perfectly, in my opinion, right there. What are we to do? Check your vision. Our vision, we need to make sure that we got our eyes focused all the time on Jesus. Once again, that goes back to the finish line. Keeping your eyes on the finish line. You know, but this word, keeping you're, it, it, it's, it's the word used here. And I, in my study this week, I said, I've got to figure out a way that this, this word in the Greek is hard not to understand. But I went back, and here's what the word means, basically. I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but my son and daughter-in-law have. And when Michael came back and Jennifer came back, they showed us pictures, and the pictures were incredible. But my son said this to me. He said, Dad, 
It's indescribable. I can't describe to you what this picture you're looking at actually saw because he could see the whole picture. And he said, Dad, when I looked and stood at the top of the Grand Canyon in there and he, and he saw, he said, my mouth just dropped. That's this word right here. Keeping your eyes on Jesus. It's not staring. You know how you can do that sometimes? You can't stare and people have a little earth to whoever. It's not that word. It's the word that when you look at something, you just say, wow, whoa. That's what he said. If you're going to finish well, we need to have those wow moments with God. And you may be alone. You may be in your house somewhere. You may be driving a car. You may be in a conference. You may be in a class. You may be, I don't know. But all of a sudden you hear or see something in it, or you talk, whatever God sets up, and you just sit back and you say, whoa, that was a God thing. That's that word, Afarao. That's that word, vision. Folks, check your Vision. Don't let Satan obscure your focus. He wants to pull you down. He wants to make you feel like you're rotten and dirty and nothing. But God says you are special, you are forgiven, and you are my special gift to this world. We've talked about that in these questions. But then he says, make sure in the scripture, the source and perfector. I looked at those words. The word source, the one who will cause something to actually begin, the perfecter, the one who finishes, the one who makes it possible. And then I thought of Jesus, the source of our salvation and the one who made it possible. How? God emptied heaven, became man. He died on that cross to save every sin that you and I would ever commit. Wow. And because of that, we can live eternally. Make sure your vision is always on Jesus. Amen. Make sure every thought is captive. Now, folks, we're sinful people. That doesn't happen all the time in our lives. But we ought to strive every day, if we're going to finish well, to make sure that vision is Jesus Christ-focused. Period. And then there was a third one. Get on a diet. Keep on running. Check your vision. And the fourth one is simply this. Don't ever, ever look back. Now, that doesn't mean you don't learn from your past. Hello. But if the trainer was up here talking to me, and then let's get the picture. Remember, we're at a race here. We're at runners. And that runner is just going like this. And let's just suppose about halfway into going around the lap or in the race or wherever he is at that point, he decides to stop and turn around. Folks, if you're running and you do this, what's going to happen? I know with me at my age, I'm going to fall flat on my face. Either way, it's going to slow me down. It's going to stop me when I turn around. But what if you did this in running? What if you're running and all of a sudden you just stop right where you are and you just turn around? Everybody's going by you now and you just turn around. Well, let me think. Now, if I start here and then if I can go here mathematically, if I can figure all that out. Whoa! Somebody's already won the race. Don't ever look back. Learn from your past. Paul said, forget some of that old crud that's in the past. But he says, don't ever, ever look 
back. If we're going to finish, yes, we learn from our past, but never stop and live back in it. Doing so is the recipe for defeat. And if Satan and the demons of hell can get you for a second to go and live in the past, the Satan and his demons have won the victory. Rather than look back, God's desire to finish well is done because they are focused on that one goal. Yes, the finish line, heaven. But in this verse, Paul says it. Look, verse 2, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter. Then what? Who for the joy that lay before him. He's talking about Jesus. In the heart of Jesus, folks, his goal was joy. Kara, C-H-A-R-A in the Greek. It is a spiritual trait. When I mean that, it's that type joy is given to you by God. The world doesn't understand that, folks. When I talk to Landon and Daphne, the daughter and son-in-law of Susan, Simone, last night, even in the midst of such a horrific tragedy on this life or in this life, they could look to me and they could say, but you know, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Folks, they couldn't say that unless they knew Jesus Christ. And they couldn't say that unless they knew what? Joy. Now, happiness is a human emotion. The world can have happiness. But folks, they can't know joy until you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And the Bible says, our Lord on this earth, Who for the joy that lay before him? What joy? He knew that when he took our sin, death penalty on the cross, he would finalize it. He would finish. It would be done. He even said the word tetelestai. It is finished. It's taken care of. Sin is forgiven. And now he's sat now at the right hand of the Father, the place of honor, right by the Father God in the throne room of God. Why? Why did he do it? Why could he go through such passion that is beyond anything you and I can ever, ever attempt to understand? Joy. Joy. Where is the joy, ladies and gentlemen, in going to a cross? Where is the joy in dying like a common criminal? Where is the joy in being rejected by the people you love? For Jesus, the joy was in what would happen when he finished the race. And what would happen is there would be salvation for all people. The day would be in heaven where heaven and redeemed that one day we would be with him in heaven. The day would be when he would reclaim the glory that he shared with his father. And the day would be where there would be a new heavens and a new earth created by God. The Lord knew that. You and I know that. Keep your eyes on the finish line. Make sure you keep on running. But understand, if you're going to finish well, joy has got to be deep in your gut. And that's what the world is watching, because he always saw the finish line. You know, I went back and looked at a few things just real briefly. Let me share. You know, Jesus had every reason to turn around and look back and not go to that cross. Every possible reason. I wrote down about 20 of them. Let me tell you about 10 of them. He was born of an unwed mother. He was born in the stable. He was born to poor parents. 
He was moved as a baby. His father died when he was young. He had to support his family. He was hated and opposed by others. He was charged, if you remember, with demon possession. He was opposed even by some in his family. He was rejected and hated. He was betrayed by a very close friend. He was left alone. He was tried before the high court of the land for treason. And he was executed as a common criminal by means of execution, by means of crucifixion. The worst possible way to die. Jesus had every reason to turn around and run the other way, but for the joy that was in his life and the race that lay before him, he knew that it was going to be the joy that would be the win. So folks, how do you finish? Don't ever, ever look back. Learn from where you were. Move on. Move on. And then as that runner, don't ever let Satan cause you to look back. Well, that's it. How do I finish? Get on a diet. Keep on running. Check your vision. And don't ever look back. Over these next few weeks, pick out one of those. As I said, folks, I hear this much louder than you. Do you need to go on a diet? Now you know the diet we're talking about. Maybe there's confession of sin. You just need to say, Lord... Whoa, forgive me. Why? Because that old separation crud is there. And 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, I am faithful just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. Keep on running. Keep on doing what you do. And you know, folks, there are other ways. Some of you say, well, Randy, physically, I can't run. I can't do what I used to do. I can't go out and visit. I can't this. I can't that. I can't. But you're talking about a prayer warrior. You're talking about writing a letter. You're talking about picking up the phone and just being an encourager. And saying, you know, I had you on my mind and heart today. And I just want to call you and tell you, I love you. And I'm praying for you. When we were at the legislature a couple weeks ago. And Keith and Daniel are sitting right here. They were with me. and They can vouch for this. One of the things those legislators said to us. It is just thank God for you all that we know that you're praying for us. Just a simple. Why not write a letter to your legislator this week and just say, I know you don't know me. Don't worry about that. I just, I'm Christian, and I just want you to know I'm praying for you. You're talking about changing somebody's day. That's how we run. It may not be the physical. It may not be the physical things you used to do. And it may be. Maybe you can. But it's changing the way you run. Changing the way you're doing. And make sure your vision, check it. That's our responsibility. That our vision is God-centered. Not man-centered. But God-centered. And then whatever you do. Whatever you do. Don't you ever look Because God says, press forward toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I am convinced, Romans, I mean, where am I at? I'll get it out. Hebrews 12, I'm getting back in Rome. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us exactly how to do just that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that's very uh, to the point, frank. And it was this morning, Father, what we must be doing, all of us at all ages. Because you're right, Lord, from the day we were born, we're finishing. 
And Father, for some reason in this house, we're not finishing well, and there are those that feel like they're not. May today have been a day of encouragement, a day of challenge, but a day to once again realize that you're sovereign, Lord. You're in complete control. Nothing gets past you. Nothing will. And so, Father, I pray for us right now, those in this building, in our sanctuary, those who listen to this, our homebound and others by way of CD. Father, change lives today. Your word is more powerful than a double-edged sword. It will pierce us to the very center of the marrow of our bone. And, Father, I pray that we stand on that promise this morning, that your word will never return as nothing is void. To God be the glory. Amen and amen. So, folks, it's decision time for us as we sit in our pew and as we come. So what do we do? Just like the song says, the gale's playing. Focus on Jesus. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Stand up where you are, would you? And we'll be right down here to receive you. This becomes our prayer, our place of commitment, our altar. Just like in the Old and New Testament, we set up the altar. And so now you come, whatever's on your heart, as we finish well in this life. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior. And life more abundant and Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. into life everlasting. He passed and we follow Him there. Over us sin no more hath dominion. For more than conquerors we Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory. And grace. His word will not fail you, he promised. Believe him, and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. His purpose. 
salvation to turn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth the 